Well, good evening, Hope Bible Church, Ottawa. It is a joy to be back uh, with you tonight after a few weeks away and ministering at uh, one of our fellowship churches last weekend um, at Mission City in Brantford, and we're thankful for the Lord's work there. And uh, it's, but there's, I say it before, I'll say it again, there's no place like home, huh? Love hearing you sing, love hearing you pray. Our Lord is worthy of that. Let's open up our Bibles. We got a lot to get through tonight, okay? We got a lot to get through, so let's get ready. Open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 25. Acts 8, 9 to 25. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, you are going to need a Bible. This is Hope Bible Church. You're going to need a Bible. Put your hand up nice and high. Our wonderful ushers are coming right now, and they would love to put that in your lap. If you don't have a copy of God's Word at home, keep that as a gift. So we can encourage you to study on your own. Hey, online crew, love the fact that you're tuning in online. We miss you and we want you here. We want you here with us. And so we would love to see you soon and praying that you make that a priority and are able to do that shortly. For those of you who are watching online and you've never come here in person before, you're kind of kicking the tires with that, checking it out. We would love to meet you and uh, are praying that we would see you soon as well. Acts chapter eight, verses nine to 25. Well, hey, hey, loved ones, after a brief two week break, welcome back. Welcome back to the school of witness. Mm-hmm. The school of witness as we continue on in the next message in our series through the book of Acts, part two, chapters eight to 12. And the title of this series is Strong and Courageous in Witness. Now we need to be rock solid, crystal clear on what the Bible says a witness for Jesus Christ is. Write this down. Your pens are going to be firing off the page tonight, so make sure you've got a pen in front of you. All right? A witness. Here it is. You'll see it on the screen. One who testifies about the truth of Jesus Christ. One who testifies about the truth of Jesus Christ on their lips and in their life, living out the truth of Jesus Christ, unafraid. An unafraid witness that is even to the point of this, so convicted of the truth, so in love with the Savior that they are willing to die so that others may live. Is that not the life and testimony and mission of Jesus himself? Willing to die so that others may live. And and this idea of witness is the entire theme of the book. All of Acts is focused on this major theme, witness. And it comes from the commission Jesus gave the apostles and followers. Do you remember it? Right from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You'll see it on the screen. This is the outline of the entire book. Acts 1, 8, Jesus is commissioning the apostles before he ascends to heaven, and he says, but you will, look at that promise, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and here's another one, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that is locally, and in all Judea, Samaria, nationally, and to the end of the earth. What a promise, huh? And you look around, you look around, hey, we were at GCC conference last week and we had brothers and sisters literally in our fellowship from all over the world, from Rwanda, from Moldova, from Romania, from Nairobi, from Scotland, from Ireland, Greece, they were all there and it was a taste of heaven. Praise the Lord, Jesus is fulfilling this promise and the title of the message for tonight is Fittingly, the power of the gospel. 
And if we are to be strong and courageous on witness, loved ones, we must be clear on what Jesus means when he gives us this power. What is he talking about? Here it is, write this down. The Greek word for this is dunamis. Dunamis. Now, you might look at that word in brackets and be like, that reminds me of an English word. Does it look familiar? Okay, say it out loud. What English word comes from that? Dynamite. Dynamite. Yeah. Does that fire you up? Pun intended. That's amazing. Ah, good job, crew. Thanks for laughing. All right. Dunamis. It means this. Power. Write this down. Power through God's ability. The power of God. The power of the gospel the power of the person and work, think about this, of Jesus, of God himself, ready for this? Living in and working through his people by his dwelling in them through the Holy Spirit. Wow. The power of God in the people of God for the glory of God. Don't miss that. Dunamis, dynamite. This word power, dunamis, is used 120 times in the New Testament. You think it's a big deal for God, for us to get this? It's used 120 times in the New Testament. Listen, loved ones, we cannot escape this fact Gospel power is the X factor of our witness. Without it, there is no faithful witness. Everything hinges on that. We can't change a life. We can't open eyes to see. We can't persuade enough with eloquent words to try to convince someone to come to faith in Jesus Christ. There is no gospel witness without gospel power. It doesn't exist. It is the power, gospel power, is the power to save lives. Think about this. Gospel power is the power to sanctify lives. That means make, make conform them more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Gospel power is the power to transform hearts. Gospel power is the power to defeat hostility. You don't think our world needs that today? To defeat hostility. Gospel power is the power to overcome opposition. Gospel power is the power to empower our service, embolden our faith. And it is a power that no other power in heaven or on earth can stand against. This is the dunamis power of God. The power of the gospel. In fact, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, you'll see it on the screen. This is why he gave his whole life for this. This is why he was unafraid. This is why he was strong and courageous and witness and not ashamed. But look what he says, Romans 1.16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the, say it with me, it is the it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The power to save. 
to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for everyone who believes. It doesn't matter what tribe, tongue, or nation a person is from, gospel power is sufficient. It doesn't matter how hard a heart seems to be towards Jesus Christ, gospel power is sufficient. It doesn't matter how inadequate you feel. Guess what? Say it with me. Go. That's it. Take it to the bank every time. And why is it so important we understand this? That dunamite word is loaded. Why is it so important we understand it? Well, because you and I have a problem. That's the good news, the power. The bad news is you and I have a problem every single day, every single one of us in this room. You know what the problem is? It's called unbelief. It's called unbelief. We look at the world around us. Students, hope kids, so thankful you're in here. What's up? So thankful you are in here. Grades two to five class. Hope youth, glad you're here. It was great hanging out with you on Wednesday. Guess what? Guess what? No matter what situation you face, when you look at the world around, can it be intimidating for you guys? Intimidating for the gospel and sharing your faith? Can it be? Yeah, you bet it is. Situations we face, the people in our lives, and instead of believing in the power of the gospel and living in courageous witness, we doubt its power to save. Don't we? It's, we doubt its power and we lack confidence in it. And what happens is we live in fear. Why do you think we back down in our witness in fear? Because we don't believe in the power of the gospel. Why do you think we lack courage in witness? Because we don't believe in the power of the gospel. And ultimately, notice what happens? We are ashamed to identify with Christ. What will happen to that relationship if I share it? What will happen to my job? So what happens is we become ashamed of Christ and we embrace ourselves. We embrace the fear of man. We embrace the anxiety. And we're ashamed of the gospel. That's why Paul says, I am unashamed. And that's a big problem for us, isn't it? But I want to encourage you with this. Here's a big solution that Jesus gives us. Big idea of the text. Write this down. The power of the gospel, the power of God can't be stopped. What does that mean for us? So be strong and courageous in witness this week, loved ones. Be strong and courageous in witness. And here in our text, we're going to see four truths of gospel power. We must believe or our witness falls apart. Four truths of gospel power we must believe and increasingly live out in the power of the Holy Spirit if we are to live strong and courageous in witness and see lives changed and God's kingdom advance for his glory. Ready to go? Tune in. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Acts chapter 8, we're going to read verses 9 to 13. 9 to 13. Let's read it together nice and loud. Acts chapter 8, 9 to 13. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. 
they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. This, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Hear the word of the Lord. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Lord, help us to get your word and to be gotten by your word. We learn to live, loved ones. So let's tune in. Only the power of the gospel. Here it is. Number one, demolishes darkness. What does that mean for us? We need to preach it. You're going to see the way the outline is formed this week. You have what's called an indicative, the first part of the outline. That's what's true. And then on the last part of the outline is the imperative, which is the application of what to do. So you have what's true and what to do. So if you look at that, only the power of the gospel demolishes darkness. That's true. So what do we do with it? Preach. See it? Uh-huh, hey, nice and clear, good. Only the power of the gospel demolishes darkness, so we must preach it. Only gospel light defeats darkness, loved ones. That's it. Only gospel light defeats darkness. Here's the question facing you and I when that fear kicks in. Ready? Will you preach it? When that anxiety kicks in, will you preach it? Here's our context. If you remember from Acts 8, the floodgates of persecution have opened against the church. It's like heyday on the church right now in Jerusalem. And the result is, as the persecution led by a man named Saul, we'll hear more about Saul in a couple weeks, how the Lord deals with Saul. Awesome. But the church is scattered out of Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, where the believers, what do they do? They don't hide in fear. They're not hiding in the hills. What do they do? They continue to proclaim the gospel and God's kingdom through his church continues to advance under his sovereignty. Isn't that awesome? He's fulfilling that promise. Judea, Samaria to the end of the earth. And the focus of the first first eight verses of Acts 8 was on the ministry of a man named Philip in Samaria. So here's Samaria. You'll see it on the screen right there. All right, so the church has moved out of Jerusalem, just a little bit below Samaria there, and that's where this is taking place. We don't know what city in that region, but we do know (laughs) that as he preached the gospel to the Samaritans and God confirmed the truth of the gospel in Acts 8, 1 to 8, he confirmed it through healings, And driving out demons, what happens? Many start coming to faith in Christ. And you notice what happens, verse 8? Look at the state of this city that he's in in Samaria right now. So there was much joy in that city. Gospel joy. The Lord has come. People delivered. Uh Uh-oh. Then you get to verse nine. What's the first word of verse nine? Did you see it? Go back to the text. It says, all this is happening. We got like spiritual awakening happening. And then there's that word. Say it. But. But. Uh Uh-oh. You know, as parents, you ever get in those situations? Your kids, you're like, so tell me what happened. Oh, I did this right and this right and this right. And then you say, but. Right? This is the but. But. There's an issue. There's an issue. 
And that's connecting word to what's happening previously. The issue deals with a man named, you saw it in the text, Simon. His name's Simon Magus, actually. And actually, we don't have this confirmed report, but early church historians believe that Simon, and, well, I can't tell you that. That's going to be a spoiler alert. We'll get to that in a little bit, okay? Here I am, just flowing tonight. All right, issue deals with a man named Simon who practiced magic, notice the text, magic in Samaria. What this means is Simon was a sorcerer. He wasn't making animals out of little balloons. He's a sorcerer. That means witchcraft. That means astrology. That means the occult. And notice the text, he had Samaria under his control. Did you notice the text? He had Samaria, all of Samaria, from the least to the greatest, coming under him, thinking he was amazing. People from the least to the greatest, they were saying, verse 9, they were amazed. That means that term amazed there means they revered Simon. They revered him and all of his witchcraft and occult. And they had paid attention to him. Notice the text. For a long time as he declared himself. Notice the text, verse 9. They declared, he declared himself to be somebody great. He claimed to have divine power. That's what that means. I have divine power. Supernatural ability from God. And notice, he had deceived the people So much that they believed it too. Notice verse 10. He had, they believed that he had come from or was working on behalf of a divine being. Notice what they called him? The power of God called great. He was the manifestation of God in flesh. Simon was throwing and wielding a big stick. He had everybody under his control. Okay, time out from the text for a moment. A little warning from this text. Um, Beware of anyone who declares themselves to be somebody great. That's not coming from the spirit of Jesus Christ. There's only one person that the spirit of God working inside a heart will declare to be great, and it's not you or me. It's Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. So you be very careful when people come and say, I'm a big deal. I did this. I did this. I can do this. This is my vision. This is what I want to see. You be very, very careful and don't follow them. The mark of the man or woman of God is humility. A submission to the Lord, a submission to the leaders of the church that he has purchased with his blood and he is the head of. It is not you and I declaring ourselves to be somebody great. In fact, that is the spirit of what's called the Antichrist at work in that person. Are you declaring yourself to be somebody great? We're all tempted to do it all the time, aren't we? And in fact, this world praises us when we do. I'm declaring myself to be somebody great. I should have that position in the church or in work. I should be able to do this. I should be able to go plant that church. I should be able to do this. I should, really? Whose glory are you really concerned about? Yours? Or God's? 
Be very careful, loved ones. Be very careful. If I could sum it up, Samaria was under a shroud of deep darkness and deception. Just a cloud of darkness. Can you picture it? And then notice what happens, though, when the light of the gospels proclaimed. Go back to 12 and 13. This is just, let's just call it what it is. It's awesome. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Take that, Simon. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. See what happens there. Once Philip, an ordinary man in the hands of an extraordinary God, notice what he does when he starts preaching the gospel. Notice what God does. Simon goes out of business. Boom. Simon is out of business. Darkness is demolished. As Philip preaches the gospel, notice the text, there's a spiritual awakening. There's a spiritual awakening in a people group that was the least likely to have a spiritual awakening. Enemies of the Jews in Jerusalem, where Philip's from, by the way, and they knew it and he knew it. And those who formerly believed Simon and were under his control and deception What do they do? They repent of their sin, put their faith in Jesus, and are baptized. Boom. Gospel victory. The darkness is demolished through the preaching of light, the truth of God. And notice the text there in verse 13. We'll we'll unpack this more in next point. It says, even Simon believed and was baptized. There'll be more on that in the next point. But today, let's bring this in today. Let's bridge it. Do you, see, do you guys, loved ones, do you see any comparison between Samaria's culture and ours today? You think the old cult is active today? Uh, yeah, we just had Halloween that celebrates it. It's actually Reformation Day on October 31st. I was driving here and we passed the house of a psychic. You don't think it's there? Claiming to have supernatural power? Deception, darkness, false teaching, those declaring that they are somebody great. Having divine power, divine insight, the occult, astrology. I can't even go on to the news without seeing an advertisement for a horoscope. It's all over. It's under the shroud. Canada is under the shroud of deception, of darkness, just like Samaria, sorcery, black magic, and people are enslaved to it. And can we just make something clear? Loved ones, eyes up here. Love the fact that you're taking notes, but eyes up here. Satan doesn't care who or what you and I worship as long as it's not Jesus. He doesn't care. Go to the horoscope. You're not going to Jesus. Go to the psychic. You're not going to Jesus. Go to the false teacher. You're not going to Jesus. Take your pick. Yet through the God-empowered, notice the text, God-empowered, courageous witness of one ordinary man 
in the hands of an extraordinary God, the light of God, the truth of God is proclaimed and demolishes the darkness. Because here's the truth we need to understand. You'll see it on the screen. Where the light shines, the darkness always has to move. I was going to have our tech team turn off all the lights. Just time didn't permit it. And I had time for nice. I bring my, bring my big carpenter's light. Where the light shines, the darkness always has to move. If we were to shut all the lights off in this room and someone put a flashlight on, where would your eyes go? Darkness and light cannot exist in the same space. I was a science teacher. We did experiments on this all the time. My kids loved it. They can't exist in the same space. Where the light shines, the darkness always has to move. And there's only one light of the world. And what's his name? Jesus. Jesus Christ. So only gospel light can demolish darkness. But question facing you and I. You going to preach it? Will you preach it in your workplace? Will you preach it in your home? Your neighborhoods? Where has God scattered you to? Where has he sown you? To declare that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, came to earth. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life and didn't sin once and went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, took on the wrath of God in our place. That's the penalty we deserved. He died and was buried for three days and rose again three days later, defeating the power of sin and death and now offers forgiveness and eternal life, justification before God, peace with God in a right relationship with him. There's the gospel. Will you repent and confess him as Lord, the light of the world? See, your pulpit, church family, friends, your pulpit might not be this one. But it might be that Zoom call you're on this week. Your pulpit, in fact, it is the Zoom call you're on this week. Your pulpit might not be this one, but it is your dinner table that you're around with your kids, with your spouse, with your friends. It is the grocery store, the classroom. Hey, students, the classroom is your pulpit. You say, but I homeschool. Oh, yeah, even more needed. The classroom's your pulpit. The workplace you're in is your pulpit this week. The neighbor you're with is your pulpit this week. The question isn't, is the gospel powerful enough? The question is, will you believe it and preach it and continue to proclaim it, believing that Jesus is sovereign and will confirm it in his time and in his way for his glory and that no one is beyond his power. Not even a society dripping in deception is beyond the power of the gospel. Where are you doubting the gospel and thinking that person's beyond it? Not true. Only the power of the gospel demolishes darkness, so we must preach it. And with this, we see only the power of the gospel defeats hostility. And so we must trust it. We must trust it. Only gospel unity will defeat hostility. Is, that, is not this world filled with hostility right now? Literally countries blowing themselves apart. Millions of people mourning right now. The loss of loved ones the loss of homes, the loss of their very lifestyle that they've known, gone. Hear the truth of God, friends. Only gospel unity will defeat hostility, but the question facing you and I is this, will you trust it that it's enough? 
it's enough. And we're not talking about the world's definition of unity. You know what the world's definition of unity is? Uniformity. You look like I look, we're united. You speak like I speak, we're united. You dress like I dress, we're united. You agree with me on every single thing all the time so I don't cancel you, then we're united. That's not unity. Gospel unity. Let's unpack it. Go to verses 14 to 17. Let's look. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17. Then they laid their hands on them. This is, this is awesome. They laid their hands on, look at the power of God, and they received the Holy Spirit. See, as news of the Samaritans' spiritual awakening spreads to Jerusalem, the apostles, remember, they stayed in Jerusalem while the rest of the church scattered. They get wind of this. They're the church leaders. They were, these were men, remember, who had been seen, who saw the resurrected Christ, who were commissioned by him personally to lay the foundation and blueprint of the church in his power. They hear of it and they send Peter and John to go to Samaria to see what's happening and confirm it for themselves. And notice the text. Upon seeing what was happening and affirming the genuine faith in the Samaritans, what do Peter and John do? Did you see it in the text? They lay hands on them. They actually like ordain them as Christians. They affirm them, an act of affirmation from the leaders of the church that these were true believers And the Samaritans, notice what happens? In a similar way as the Jewish believers did in Acts 2, at Pentecost, they received the Holy Spirit. This is called the Samaritan Pentecost right here. They received the Holy Spirit. Now let's get some clarity here. You're like, wait a second. I thought thought you received the Holy Spirit upon conversion. What's happening here? See, these verses, they cause great debate in the church today because of a seeming separation between conversion, when one repents of their sin and confesses Jesus as Lord, and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit after that. Great debate. And which we understand biblically, conversion and baptism of the Holy Spirit go together. They go together. There is no second Baptism, And we see that all throughout scripture. They're not separated. So you got to ask the question, why did God in his sovereignty choose this way? Could he not have just filled them all at conversion? Like he did in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 to 39. He could have had them receive the Holy Spirit right at the moment of salvation. Why wait? Why wait? Good question. Here's what we must understand. Proper biblical hermeneutic, proper biblical interpretation, remember, goes back to the genre of the book that you are interpreting. Remember, this is a breakthrough moment in church history, the book of Acts. The genre of Acts is a historical narrative. And there's elements of description and prescription in it. It is a unique, remember, loved ones, as we said at the start of the series, go back and listen to that message. It is a unique transition time in the life of the church as the church is breaking into the world after Christ's ascension. They're breaking into the world. And notice this. 
the gospel for the first time is going, since the church began, is going beyond the Jews of Jerusalem. For the first time, it's going to the Samaritans. And it's reaching an entirely new people group in Samaria. And so as such, notice this, Peter and John, they hear the report and, they, and to go and confirm it personally by laying their eyes on it was a wise act of God under his sovereignty. You see the wisdom of God in this? That he had Peter and John go to, to be eyewitnesses of this? I mean, you, you and I both know this. If we see something, we're like, yeah, I totally witnessed it. I, I saw it happen. If you hear of something, you're like, did it really happen like that? Did it? Did it? You sure? I don't know. I didn't see it first hit, right? So you see the wisdom of God calling the leaders of the church to go and affirm it. And then we see two things, two things. We see the wisdom of God played out here. Number one, apostles are able to see what's happening firsthand. And notice this, under their apostolic authority, what do they do? Lay hands on. They affirm this gospel. I love that. This gospel transformation to a new people group. And they affirm that the Samaritans were true Christians. That's the first thing we see. They lay hands on them. An affirmation. Secondly, we see this in the wisdom under God's sovereignty. So good. It confirms the unity of the church, doesn't it? He sends the apostles. And it confirms the unity of the church. The Samaritans received the Holy Spirit in a similar way as the... Notice God's kindness. He, they received the Holy Spirit in a similar way as the Jewish believers did at Pentecost. Beautiful. What an awesome act of sovereignty here. And having it affirmed by the apostles made it clear, watch this, made it clear there is no separation between a Samaritan church and a Jewish one. See that? They affirm them. The Samaritans were full members of the one church. One gospel, one people. Beautiful. Yes, God waited. He waited to show them there's not two separate churches. You don't divide over there because you're a Samaritan. Because don't forget, loved ones, how tempting would it have been for the believers to be divided against each other based on their history between Jews and Samaritans. They hated each other. They wouldn't even worship at the same temple. So of course God had to go. God had to, in his sovereignty, send the apostles. There's no ethnic divisions even today in the church. Ephesians chapter four, verse five, if you don't believe me. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's no ethnic divisions in the church. And we will see another similar event, the Gentile Pentecost in Acts 10. At Cornelius' house, Lord willing, when we get there. And then you don't see it again. Why? Because the transition's over. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth, the Gentiles. You don't see it again. Welcome to the sovereignty of God. There's no second baptism. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Like what a moment in church history. This is our family history. What a moment. Hostility is defeated. Two opposing nations, two opposing people groups literally hating each other, enemies are united. Truly united. Only the gospel can do this, church. We have to be convinced of this. No wonder the enemy works so hard to distort what is happening right here, to divide the very family that God is bringing together in the very text. 
have the church divide over the very thing that we be the picture of its unity. Look around this room. Look around this room right now. Just take a moment. Go ahead. No one will think you're weird. Just go ahead. Just take a look around. How many different nations and ethnicities are here? Between 40 and 50. You know what that means? You and I are a picture of the greater fulfillment of what's happening here in Acts 8. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. The gospel is for the nations. And in fact, our next prayer night, Victoria announced it's coming up November 18th. When's it coming, by the way? November 15th. Did I say 18th? Wow, you guys are good. Yes, way to go, Hope. November 15th is our next prayer night. And the title of that prayer night is, Let the Nations Be Glad. From Psalm 67, we are praying through. Nations are divided right now, aren't they? Hostility is increasing, isn't it? And we are praying for the nations. Join us. Do not miss it. If we truly believe the gospel's the only hope, we will plead with the Lord. Don't miss it. Students, don't miss it. Kids, don't miss it. No matter how deep the division or differences go, they are never deep enough for the gospel to not overcome them in unity. You believe that? You trust it? You trust it? You think our world needs it? Look at the racial attacks going on all over the world. People groups literally bombing each other. Only the gospel unity will defeat hostility, but loved ones, will you trust it? Will you trust the gospels enough? There's no courage in witness without it. If you don't trust the gospels enough, you will not preach it. And you will resort to man-made ideas of justice that will never lead you to the unity, the beautiful unity of God. And you may say this, but wait a second. Those problems are so big. The hatred is so deep. The hostility is so real. And this message is so simple. It seems so foolish. There must be a better strategy for this world. The church is so divided. There must be a better strategy. Here, spoiler alert. No, there's not. There's not. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church, one message. Will you trust it? Only the power of the gospel demolishes darkness, so we must, it's not an option, we must preach it if we're going to be faithful witnesses. Only the power of the gospel defeats hostility. We must trust it. Thirdly, we see this, then this, only the power of the gospel delivers grace, and so we must give it. Delivers grace, and so we must give it. Only gospel grace speaks the truth in love and gives another chance. We live in a world that's ready to cancel you the moment you disagree with someone else. But notice the power of the gospel. Only gospel grace speaks the truth in love and gives another chance. And the question facing you and I is this, will you do it? Will you speak the truth in love and give another chance? Let's read verses 18 to 19. It is so good. Let's move on. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, heart revealed, saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, gospel mayday right there. Gospel mayday. After the Spirit is given to the Samaritans, Simon's true state, remember how he believed apparently? 
and was even baptized earlier in verse 13, his true state before the Lord is revealed. Right here. And he's shown to be an imposter. He's shown to be an imposter. One who professed Jesus. Says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But didn't possess Jesus. He professed, he did not possess Jesus. And you may say, wait a second, wait a second. There are verse two. Simon believed, was baptized. But what we see here, right here, under the authority of scripture, listen to this. If we see here, his faith was not genuine. He believed, yes, he believed God had power. When you see something happening like that, you're out of business by one preacher. You believe something's going on, right? He believed God had power. He believed God was at work and he gave even intellectual assent to that. Yeah, I believe God's at work. I believe there's God. I believe there's a guy named Jesus, son of God. And he went through the motions. He confessed. Okay, I'm gonna confess Jesus is my savior too. And I'm gonna get baptized. Why do you do that? You see it right from the text. His motive was exposed. Did you catch it? Go back to the text. He did that to keep his reputation. To keep his reputation with those he formerly controlled had power over, would receive money from. But notice in verse 18, he tries to pay Peter to give him the power of the Holy Spirit. If I just do this act, I'm going to get salvation. I'm going to get the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit here. Why? So that, verse 19, notice his motive. It's exposed. He could once again have the power over the people and being able to give the Holy Spirit to them. <clears throat> He wanted to still be called great. Simon, you're the great man who can give me the Holy Spirit. Has anything changed? Nothing. An unregenerate heart using the gospel for profit. Whose glory is he really about? See, Simon didn't want Jesus. Simon wanted his status in the name of Jesus. Do you? Do you? Let's just do a hard heart check right now in the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that what you want? Not Jesus, but status in the name of Jesus. Oh, I'm a Christian. I, I, I'll go through the motion. Maybe you've been baptized. Oh, yeah. And if this isn't enough proof, if you're still not convinced of Simon's true state before the Lord, look at Peter's rebuke in verses 20 and 21. Go back to the text. But Peter, he sees Simon's hearts exposed. What does he say? He said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. Why? Here it is. For your heart is not right before God. Peter's rebuke literally means, it literally means this in the original manuscripts. Ready? Peter says, to hell with you and your money. Are you going to say that to a true believer? No, because they're given eternal life. He says, to hell with you and your money. Verse 21, he says, you have no share in this matter. The what is the matter? The blessings of the gospel. You have no share in the gospel. 
You have no share in eternal life. You have no share in the church. And your heart is not reconciled to God. Here's the thing we need to understand. Hope Ottawa, right here, you'll see it on the screen. Many will profess Christ, but not all will possess Christ. And this is not going to go away. Jesus promises it in the days to come, in the final days, which we are in. More and more people will say, I'm a Christian. I'm totally a Christian. I'm going to go through the motions. I attend church. I attend church. Maybe I was even baptized. Yep, I'm a true believer. Really? Today we see this worked out. Pulpits across this world are filled with men peddling the word of God for profit like Simon wanted to do right here. It's called the prosperity gospel. The gift of God for money. Not caring about the flock. Not laying their lives down. Peddling for profit. How about in this room right now? Professing Christ to keep up your reputation just like Simon was. I like the social aspect of church, so I'm going to call myself a Christian because I like the people around me. I've got a reputation to keep, but you don't possess him. Going through the motions, maybe, well, I was baptized. I, I, I prayed the prayer so my parents would be happy with me. But you've never confessed truly and repented. And you notice, I'm actually encouraged. I was actually encouraged in sermon prep of this today. Like Philip baptized this guy, Simon. Philip baptized him. You know what that shows? We do our due diligence as leaders of this church. We have to. People will ask me sometimes, why do you do baptism interviews? We have a next baptism service coming up. Have you signed up yet? Have you ever been baptized? Now's the time. You don't have to wait. Now's the time. If you're truly saved in Jesus Christ, why do you wait? Access. But we do our due diligence with that. We do baptism interviews. We give baptism teaching booklets. You can pick them up at the table at the back. And we do baptism interviews. We walk through people's testimonies with them to do our due diligence as best we can to affirm, like the apostles are doing here, that this person is a member of the church. They're truly saved. It's not enough anymore just to say, well, I'm a Christian. 67% of Canada, according to the latest UN stats, says they're Christians. How's that working? Only God knows the heart. We do our due diligence, but only God knows the heart. He knows those who are his. Are you? And in love, I just want to say this. Or are you an imposter? Live in the text. See, instead of, notice what Peter does though. Did you see the grace all over this? Instead of seeing Simon's sin and just leaving him helpless, what does Peter do? Notice what he does. Instead of rejecting Simon and just canceling him out, Peter, in the power of the gospel, sees the sin. He doesn't make excuses for Simon's sin here, but he extends him grace. A biblical loving rebuke is an act of God's grace for your life. Do not kick against it. A biblical loving rebuke from a brother or sister. If you have a brother or sister in your life that is willing to speak the truth in love to you and say, I see this sin in your life. I see what God's word says and I'm willing to bear that burden with you, but you must repent. You're walking in a direction that's gonna lead you to devastation. 
Hold on to those people. Look at 22 to 24. Look what he says. Look at the grace extended right here. He says, repent, Simon. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Do you see that? He says, repent. He doesn't, notice what he does to protect the purity of the church. He doesn't see Simon's sin and then forsake the gospel just to hang on to the relationship. How, many of, how much of that is going on right now in this church? We have a church that loves to fellowship together. I love that. Praise the Lord. Meal train church, yeah? Uh-huh. How much of those conversations are we excusing sin in the life of brother or sister just to maintain the unity? God help us if we become a church that wants the benefits of gospel community but forsakes the very truth that it's founded on. It won't last. This is not just for elders. This is not just for your pastor to speak truth and love. This is the mission of the body. When we get together, if we hear a comment, we hear false doctrine, we see sin in a brother or sister's life, it is our mandate to protect the purity of the church for the love of Jesus Christ that he purchased with his blood and to confront that and extend grace in truth in love. We have that mandate, loved ones. Too often we just want the benefits of the gospel without the truth that keeps it. Loved ones, please, I beg you, for the sake of Christ, speak the truth in love. He calls Simon to repent. That means to give a change of mind and attitude towards sin and ask forgiveness from the Lord because he sees Simon's, notice the text, look at the wording, enslaved to his sin and his heart is filled with gall. Verse 23, you know what gall is? It's the bile in your liver. You know what the liver does? It filters out toxins. Gall is poisonous. And he says, and I see you, your heart is filled with poison of bitterness. See, Peter delivers grace here. He's not doing this to condemn Simon. He's doing this to see Simon delivered and restored to a right relationship with God. See, Peter delivers grace by not rejecting, but by confronting Simon with his sin and extending another opportunity. Notice he didn't leave Simon on his own. He says, well, you got to repent. You're on your own. What does he say? Repent and ask forgiveness. He's leading him to repentance that would lead to life. He says, Simon, turn from that and come to faith in Christ to know the salvation, the peace, the satisfaction and joy that your heart is craving. Even though verse 24, see verse 24, go back to the text. Simon refuses to repent. See, he refused it. He refused the grace of the gospel. And he, he asked for prayer to do what? Escape from the consequences of his sin. He's not grieved that he sinned against almighty God. Notice his prayer. Pray that none of what you said, the destruction and going to hell will happen to me. He just wants to get out of the consequences. You know what that's called? First Corinthians 7. That's worldly grief that leads to death. He's not sorrowful over sinning against Almighty God and a godly grief. 
Peter was a faithful grace deliverer right here. You may say, that's so harsh. No, that's so loving. He spoke the truth in love. And today, I think you would agree with me, church, this world is in desperate need of grace deliverers. Grace deliverers, not people rejectors, not people cancelers, not one and done mentality, but grace deliverers to those like us who don't deserve it. See, you'll see it on the screen right here. Every Christian is called to be a deliverer of gospel grace. Every Christian, parents to your children, do not let sin run rampant in your homes. Be a grace deliverer in your homes. You're like, but I want my kids to like me. That will not uphold the purity of the gospel in your home. It just won't. Brothers and sisters in Christ, to one another, be grace deliverers. It's like grace delivery. When we talk, it should just ooze the grace of God. Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. Right? Just grace delivery to our kids. Grace delivery to our spouse. Grace delivery to our classmates. Grace delivery to our coworkers, to your teammates, to one another. Not canceling people, but calling people. Calling people to the truth. Calling people to repentance with sin and faith through the gospel that they may have life. Only gospel grace speaks the truth in love and gives another chance. We never leave a brother or sister in the field. Gives another chance. Gives another chance to that unbelieving coworker that you've shared with again and again and again and they keep rejecting. It just gives another chance. Will you give it? And if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you are in the exact same place that Simon's in. And I say that with all the truth and love that I can. You're professing, but you're not possessing. And the same command God gave Simon through Peter is the same command he gives you tonight through this very unworthy servant. And he says, repent, repent, stop playing the game. Who's that for tonight in this room? Stop playing the game. Stop saying you're a Christian when your life is increasingly not reflecting that, when the motives of your heart, you're going through the motions. Repent, turn from your sin and confess Jesus as Lord. Will you respond? This is God extending his grace to you right now in this moment. Maybe some of us just need to bow our heads, close our eyes right now and say, Lord, I repent. I've been playing the game. I'm done. I thought I was a Christian. I'm not. Lord, have mercy. Will you respond as Simon? Worldly grief over not getting the blessing or life you think you would and he just remained dead in his sin and headed for hell. And actually, according to church history, I was saying this at the beginning, according to church history, um, it's uh, not completely verified, but the church fathers uh, wrote that Simon became the arch enemy of Peter and was actually the founder of the heresy called Gnosticism. No world, no godly grief there. No true repentance. Will you respond like Simon? Remain dead in his sin and headed for hell? Or will you respond with godly grief right now? I've sinned against God. I'm separated from him. And will you turn to him for forgiveness and eternal life? He's waiting with such grace and compassion towards you. He's ready to receive it. And brothers and sisters, will you deliver the gospel grace through the proclamation of God's truth in the Spirit's power? Will you? In your fellowship times with one another? 
or to that lost person who's rejected it from you before, to that brother or sister walking in sin, to that child that needs discipline in the Lord, will you? It's what Jesus did for us, and you received the grace when you didn't deserve it, and so did I. Only the power of the gospel demolishes darkness, so we must preach it. Only the power of the gospel defeats hostility, so we must trust it. Only the power of the gospel delivers grace, and so we must give it. And all this leads to the final point today, to the truth. Hang with me. Here we go. Only the power of the gospel fulfills the mission, and so we must prioritize it. We must prioritize it. Gospel power fuels gospel priority. When you've got the power of the gospel living in you, it fuels the priority of the gospel through you. Will you prioritize a strong and courageous witness? Let's look. Verse 25, we close out. Now, when they, that is Peter and John, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem. What are they doing on the way home? They're not kicking back saying, well, we've done our thing. We've served there. No, what are they doing? Preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. See, live in the text, as Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, they didn't prioritize their comfort. Remember, so many Samaritans still hated the Jews from Jerusalem. If they wanted to be comfortable, they would have just really quickly gone through. But they were filled with gospel power. It doesn't let them just go through. They didn't prioritize their convenience or preference. Well, I've done my thing. It's time for someone else to step up and serve. Uh Uh-uh. They didn't prioritize getting home to get to their families over the mission of the gospel. They prioritized the gospel. They prioritized the mission. And notice what they did? Intentionally, deliberately to many villages. They wouldn't stop till that whole place was ministered to. And recall, here's Jesus' promise. Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, They would be his witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and it is through them (laughs) that Jesus is fulfilling his promise. Same today. When a Christian's filled with a gospel-empowered faith, he or she can't stop and can't be stopped speaking about what they've seen and heard. Acts 4.20. It's on their lips. It's in their lives. It's burning. When a Christian is filled with gospel power, and today we live in an age of such distraction, don't we, loved ones? So many competing priorities that distract us from gospel or missional priority. We have been given by Christ. I want you to remember this. The devil doesn't need to destroy a Christian to render them ineffective. He just has to do what? Distract them. Distract them from the priority of the gospel. Distract them from the priority of mission. Gospel power fuels gospel priority. Will you prioritize strong and courageous witness? Hey, 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 final question. Where are your priorities distracted from your greatest priority if you're a follower of Christ? Even good things like your job or your marriage or your children, your possessions, or maybe your reputation's distracting you. You're declaring yourself to be somebody great. Maybe your convenience or your comfort Hey, loved ones, hear the word of the Lord, repent. Repent of it and return to our missional priority of witness. The very reason we've been saved. This is what it means to be a faithful witness for Jesus Christ. This was his mission on earth and he fulfilled it perfectly. 
See Jesus in that outline? Because Jesus preached the gospel, darkness was defeated. Because Jesus trusted in the power of the gospel, the dividing wall of hostility between us and God was torn down. And he made a way for us to come to God and stand united with one another in him. Because (laughs) it is because Jesus gave grace to us that he sacrificed his life so we may live. It's because Jesus gave grace to us that he prioritized the gospel and fulfilled his earthly mission perfectly and can now empower us for this mission. This is why we've been given the unstoppable power of God. This is our God. One more time, you'll see it on the screen. This is the power of the gospel. It can't be stopped. So be strong and courageous and witness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, uh, what a word from your word tonight that you have given us the privilege of seeing firsthand in these beautiful verses. Thank you for the power of the gospel. I pray right now, strong and courageous faith would be welling up all over this. There would be repentance. There would be confession. Lord, of where we've doubted. There would be new salvation in Jesus Christ for those who are now seeing the truth and hearing it proclaimed. There would be increasing unity and reconciliation in the church as walls of hostility come down, as grace and truth is spoken in love. Yes, Lord, and I pray for this church. I pray we would stay faithful on mission as our priority. Fill us, oh God, afresh with the power of God just bursting in our hearts, burning in our hearts to share the gospel that we would not be able to help of what we speak and what we heard declaring this is our God. In Jesus' name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may stand and respond and worship with us.